Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Welcome back. We're going to continue right through 1 Peter chapter 3, is where we left off. And we've covered some pretty intense verses, some <laughs> pretty um, taken out of context verses, some things that, you know, you kind of, I've seen used to really get religiousized over the years. And of course, none of that is necessary at all. A lot of what I think, uh, you know, I, I think in retrospect, we, we look back on these verses, or at least we should, and it I don't mean any disrespect to Peter, certainly, um, but I think, or, or Paul or anybody who's writing whatever, but sometimes you kind of look at it and it's just, it's like, duh. In other words, like, these are things that we kind of think, of course we should act that way. Of course that's how we should be. Um, and I think the only reason that we would say that is is because, you know, we're filled with Holy Spirit. We've been walking in his love. Um, and most of us, if we've been discipled and, or, or walked under some good Christian leadership, whether it's parents or, or pastoral leadership or whatever, um, you know, we read this and go, well, of course, that's how we should be. Of course, we should walk in that. But, you know, he's calling people to this who are under severe persecution, who are scared out of their minds and, you know, who have basically he's telling them, look, you're going to suffer because this persecution is coming your way. And he's basically saying, like, just make sure that you are always, always, always suffering for the sake of righteousness. In other words, that all of your suffering, if indeed it comes to you, is coming because you're walking righteously. So Peter just wants to make sure that that is always the case. So he basically says, here, act like this. Walk in this way. So in other words, he says, look, again, every book of the Bible, I don't think there's an exception to this. There, there may be. Um, at some places in certain letters from certain authors in the scriptures. But uh, basically the pattern goes like this, like uh, Paul or Peter, whoever will sit down and go, look, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. He says, this is your identity. This is who you are. Actually, he starts before that. Usually he'll say, this is who Christ is. This is who Jesus is. You know, this is the power, the love of the father. And he goes, bam, like this is awesome. And then he goes, and because of that, this is who you are. So he usually starts off with, this is who God is. Then he goes, this is who you are. And then he says, because this is who you are, this is how you ought to walk. So he's basically just saying, like, this is how you walk out who you are. And, and we just covered in First Peter 3, 1 through 7, again, things having to do with women and men and a really, really more specifically husbands and wives and kind of like just calling a place of saying, this is how you need to act as a woman if you get saved. This is how you need to act as a, as a husband that you should get saved, um, you know, whether your husband or wife is a believer or not. And and just kind of talks about that in various ways that you should be. And again, it, it's, it's stuff that I think we would look at and go, well, of course, you should act that way. But, you know, I think it, to them, they were new. You know, a lot of these people were new. Obviously, they're all new believers in, in the sense that they were the first generation of believers and are most likely the first generation of believers. And they're going, OK, this is how we have to walk in this way. So then he says this interesting phrase, so we'll just jump right in. First Peter 3, 8, he goes, to sum up, 
So basically, to sum up what? To sum up the entire thing, he started talking about wives submitting to your husbands and, you know, acting um, in a chaste way and, you know, basically valuing your heart over your external appearance, which, again, most of us should just be like, of course, that should be the way it is. And then telling husbands, you know, live with your wives in an understanding way, show her honor, etc., so that your prayers will not be hindered. And I always thought that was an interesting phrase. So that's actually First Peter 3, 7. And he, he, I'll just read that one more because I think it's so interesting. He goes, your, you husbands, in the same way, I love how he says, in the same way. In other words, basically I'm calling you to, to all the same qualities and all the same standards that I just called the women to. Um, but it might just express itself a little differently because you're a man and she's a woman, essentially. So you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. And I think I already talked about this being like, this is someone physically weaker. He's talking about not, not emotionally or spiritually weaker. Um, Cause in general, remember I'm making a general statement, all you ladies who are listening to this, um, that women are generally weaker than men. Of course, that's not always the case, um, but it is oftentimes the case. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And it's interesting, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And I, I studied this like at a few different levels, and I was like, wow, so your prayers won't be hindered. I mean, I don't know how else to read this, fellas, other than to go, look, it, uh, you could kind of flip that around to say, look, if you're going to dishonor your wife, and really that's at any level, if you're going to disrespect her, dishonor her, if you're going to treat her with anything less than love and honor, if you're going to treat her in such a way, um, it's almost like he's saying, I'm not listening to your prayers. Like, <laughs> that's a big deal. It's like he's saying, like, your prayers will be hindered. And I think that's like he's saying what you know, the things that you're praying for will not come to pass. Like, God's like, I won't honor that. I won't honor your dishonor of your wife. And so I don't know that you can read that much, much into the text, but I, I think it kind of can. Like, I did a big study on this. So your prayers will not be hindered. So what I'm trying to say is, guys, this is a big, big deal. Like honoring your wife, uh, living with her in an understanding way and, uh, you know, um, showing her that honor and deference and love is so incredibly important to God that he's almost like, look, I'm not I'm not doing what you want. Like I'm not hearing your prayers until you treat your wife with honor. Like that's, that's a very big deal. So I just want to speak that to all you men out there. Um, to treat your wife with absolute honor and deference and respect, listen to her, give her grace. And, you know, we're the leaders of the home. So it's our job to set that atmosphere of love and patience and endurance. Again, I'm not condoning. I always have to say this. It's, I don't think we ever had to say this until maybe the last 30 years or 40 years um, in history, at least in American history. But of course, we're not condoning any kind of abuse or staying with someone who's, you know, being super abusive to you. I'm not saying you sit there and take somebody's um, abuse and, and not, not call it out and not confront it. But I'm also saying as men, this is really a big deal to God that we honor our wives so that your prayers will not be hindered. I don't know about you, but I don't want my prayers hindered. I, <laughs> I really want my prayers to be acted upon. And I don't know if you know this, but in part, at least this might not be true of every single answered prayer, but in part, at least, there are angels and ministering angels who are commissioned by God to bring your prayers about, to actually cause what you're praying um, 
to have happen, happen. You know, we see this in the book of Daniel when Daniel cried out and there was a, to God because it was the end of the 70 year exile and he's crying out to the Lord for the freedom of his people. And what happens is uh, out comes um, uh, essentially Michael, well, eventually to free up Gabriel, uh, Gabriel to come and, and, and do the job, you know? So essentially what I'm saying is God sends angels in an answer to your prayer to actually sometimes bring that answer to your prayer. And I don't know how that always works because I think the spirit realm is vastly more complex than any of us realize, but there's something about that. So it's like, I want, you know, I want, I want my prayers not to be hindered because of my attitude and my treatment of my wife. So th- that's just a big, big deal. So let's just kind of take that to heart. Um, so the next one, when he says to sum up, all of you. So in other words, I'm going to sum up everything I just said. He's like, look, I'm not just talking to men. I'm not just talking to women. I'm not just talking to husbands. I'm not just talking to wives. He's like, look, this is like how everyone should be treating everyone. He's like, to sum it up, all of you be harmonious. So if you want to know what that word means, like to be harmonious, which basically means it's actually a musical term. It's to, uh, you know, if, if we talk about a harmony in a music arrangement, you know, that means someone sings one note and another person sings another note. So it's not actually the same note, but it sounds really, really good together. And one complements the other. And it's kind of like the two notes become almost like four notes, you know, like one by itself is boring. Um, another one by itself is boring, but together they sound really, really cool and actually produce something. That's what he's saying. All of you be harmonious, meaning come along. You don't have to be exactly the same as each other, but come alongside and complement one another with where you are. Stop living in a spirit of competition, essentially what that means. Be sympathetic. And this is basically saying like you can't be selfish and sympathetic at the same time. So again, I think a lot of these are does like this should automatically be how we think in terms of we're going to love people and prefer people. Um, this should be something we naturally walk in, but I don't, maybe it isn't always. So, um, it should be, this should be something that naturally comes when, when our, when our default as a believer is to love and to love well. So sympathetic, meaning like, look, when people are going through stuff, you go through it with them. It's same concept in Galatians, like bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. This is like help each other carry things, you know, have a sympathy towards one another. And I'm not talking about the kind of sympathy that's like that perpetuates someone's victimhood. And of course, that's not what he's saying either. Like, you know, sometimes somebody might come to you and they're like, oh, you know, my life is so hard and wah, wah, wah. And oh, poor me and woe is me. And, and you're thinking you're being sympathetic just by listening and going, yeah, you know, you're such a victim. Um, obviously, there's a line in wisdom that we need to have when, when either ourselves or someone else is entering into this sort of victim mentality. Um, the, that needs to be confronted. You know, that needs to be like, you know what? Repent. Your life isn't that bad. You know, get over it. Stand up and act like a man. You know, that's um, or a woman. You know, you get what I'm saying. That's the that's one of the ways that you can approach it. Um when that happens, but, but it's also just saying like, look, also love and you can do and, and listen and have sympathy for where people's hearts are and what they're going through. That's an act of love. And so, you know, you can have both of them in the same conversation. I know that I have, I know I've had like, okay, I'm listening to so-and-so they've been through hard stuff. Let me definitely have sim- sympathy, minister to their hearts, listen to them, be gracious. And then so oftentimes there's a, there's a time then where you go, you know what, you need to forgive now. You need to release you need to move on. You need to seek healing from the Lord. Whatever you got to do, get over your judgments and your bitterness to move on. So um, that's sympathetic. And, and, and then brotherly, 
um, which is literally like a brotherly love. In other words, just saying like we're going to love each other like brothers, which sums up harmonious and sympathetic, kind hearted. And man, can I please, please, please um, speak to all these preachers that are, are not filled with kindness. So I realize that sometimes things can be said sternly and sometimes sometimes things need to be said sternly. I understand that sometimes a rebuke can be, um, you know, heavy handed. It might, might always sound nice. But what I what I'm saying is like make sure you're kind hearted. Like you you Pentecostal preachers. I don't just mean Pentecostal preachers. I mean fundamentalist preachers who sometimes think some like for some reason you can check kindness at the door and just be mean um, and and coarse uh, because somehow you think that's what you need to do to make your point. I don't. That's just not biblical. And so none of us get to have a free card. Like you see a lot of people identifying like, well, I'm an apostle and I'm a prophet. So I have a license to be a jerk. You know, it's like, no, sorry. And it's like only the pastors have to be nice to people. Like I've seen that so much lately. It's like the weirdest thing. It's like here we're restoring the fivefold and in the fivefold, only the pastor must love people and everyone else can be a jerk. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of like, no, sorry guys. It doesn't work like that. Like you have to be kind hearted, period. And again, a stern rebuke is fine. That's that's also within biblical bounds. But if you're not filled with kindness and love for the one you're rebuking, don't rebuke them because all you're going to do is add to the problem. So he says kind-hearted. And the last one, of course, humble in spirit. And I know that there's been a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of discussion of humility and what that is. Um, but I, I want to say... <laughs> You know, forever it was taught that humility is basically like thinking of yourself as a piece of garbage, um, like thinking of yourself lowly and that you suck. And that that just isn't reality. And it's not only not reality, it, it isn't what humility actually means. So humility basically has lots of different forms, lots of different applications. And, and it is a very, very deep word. But if I was going to say what humility is, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So it's like, you know what, I'm going to prefer and think of my brother and his needs and put and my sister and put those needs above my own um, to, to look at them as awesome. So here's the deal. You, you can't be humble without knowing you're awesome in Christ Jesus because he declares you holy and he declares you beautiful and he declares you worthy. And ultimately, humility is agreeing with God. So if he says those things over you, then you agree with God. Um, and you say, yes, Lord. And to disagree and say, no, I'm a piece of garbage. That's actually arrogance. So to think you're a piece of garbage as a believer is arrogance. Now, at the same time, humility is understanding that none of my awesomeness comes from me. It actually all comes from him. <laughs> in other words, like the only reason I'm actually washed clean and perfect and holy at any level whatsoever is because of the blood of Jesus and because of his sacrifice and realizing that. So, so it's kind of like this mix of knowing how awesome you are in Christ, knowing all of where it comes from. Um, and that is being humble in spirit and then looking at others in a preferable way. So when you think you're awesome and then you look at others and go, they're even better than me, like that's probably a great way to place to be. You know, you're like looking at yourself like I'm awesome and holy in Christ Jesus. This is all because of Jesus. And I'm looking over there going, that guy's even better than me. And I, again, I don't mean that in terms of like comparison. I mean, you're looking at them with such love and humility that you you look at them and think that they're even better than you in the sense that they're, they're awesome and they're amazing. Because um, then he says, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. 
And then he goes on to say this interesting thing. So I, I want you to understand, he, like, he basically says, you all were called for a purpose to inherit a blessing. It's like a blessing. It's like a gift. He's like, uh, we've called you for a purpose of inheriting a blessing. And he doesn't want like that blessing in this life to somehow be nullified or lost or, or you know, not being able to be accessed because of their attitudes and treatment of one another. So he doesn't want that to be the case. And so he enters into this quoting an Old Testament verse, which says this, for the one who desires life to love and see good days. So in other words, he's like, He's like, look, right now I'm going to talk to the guy who desires awesome things in this life, who desires to love and to see awesome stuff, which I think is, you know, pretty much everybody. I, I don't know anyone who's like, oh, I can't wait for, to sabotage my life and to have everything suck and to hate people. Like, I don't I don't think anybody, maybe some people do, but that would be really weird. So this is like everybody, the one who desires life to love and to see good days. And he's what he says must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So he's just saying, look, if you want great things in this life, if you want to be a lover, if you want to love well, and you want to see good days, in other words, you want to see awesome things happen in your life, keep your mouth shut. Like, in other words, don't spread evil and and don't speak deceit you know don't don't say things that cause strife don't say things that cut down those around you which again this should be clear like this is the same thing that paul talks about in his vice list when he says things like gossip and slanderers and um you know those who speak vile things and etc etc will not inherit the kingdom of god like he's saying that because it's like this is so important what comes out of your lips. And again, what I want you to understand is remember Jesus said, it isn't what goes into a man's um, mouth that defiles him, but what comes out and what comes out of a man is coming from his heart. So the whole idea is like, if you're speaking evil all the time and deceit, something is wrong with your heart. Like the heart needs to be addressed. Like you could cut it off and just choose not to speak bad things. You could choose not to speak evil and deceit, but that still isn't dealing with the actual issue, which is that you want to, <laughs> which is that your default is falling into evil speaking things. So if those things are just constantly coming out of you and, and all you're doing is like using discipline to not do it. It's like, that's not good enough. Like there's, there's part of your heart that needs to be addressed and they can be addressed in a myriad of ways that I'm not going to go into now, but you know, if you need counseling, you need inner healing, you need a friend to talk to, you need to go before the Lord and just seek healing and deliverance, you need to repent, you need to forgive, you need to break judgments, break inner vows. There's a whole bunch of stuff that could be the reason why you're you are having a hard time with this. But but basically what he's saying is if you want an awesome life, you want to love well, you want to see good days, um, then don't don't speak evil. <laughs> and then the last the next thing, verse eleven, he must turn away from evil and do good. So in other words, like, obviously, again, it's kind of a duh. Like, if you're going out committing evil acts all the time, like, you're, you're not going to love well. <laughs> you're not going to see good days. And you're not going to have a good life. <laughs> so that's basically what he's saying. He must seek peace and pursue it. And again, this is in the context of relationships. And so, in you know, kind of coming together in Christian unity is essentially what he's saying. So he must seek peace and pursue it. So the opposite of doing evil um, is is doing good and the specific good is seeking peace and pursuing it and I think that's that's interesting because it's not just peace like between you and somebody else although that's really important I think it's peace between you and you 
you know, sometimes like how much, how many of us have oftentimes like we'll even be at peace with externally. Like we've forgiven everyone. We've released everyone. We've loved everyone. We've done everything we know to do that we're called to do as believers. We've kind of surrendered all that before the Lord. But when it comes to ourselves, we're, we have a hard time. You know, we're like, it's almost like we need peace within ourselves. And I think that's a reception of the love of God. I think that's to forgive ourselves and let ourselves off the hook. I think it's a revelation of the Father's love for us. I think it's healing in the inner spirit through the Holy Spirit and through and through his love and his his adoration and just outpouring of who he is over our spirits. So I think that's just, you know, that all those things are important. And then verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. I mean, you got to look at that. And, and, and first of all, you know, if you the only way you become righteous is by faith in Christ. So so don't you think for one second that somehow you can just do a bunch of good works and God will turn towards you because that isn't righteousness. Remember, righteousness is only found through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and full and total and utter faith in his holiness for your holiness. Like that's how you become righteous. But then he says, so the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, meaning the eyes of the Lord are toward those people who have put their total faith in Christ for their righteousness. So it's interesting how he, how he sets this, this whole thing up, this Old Testament quote, because the first thing he's saying is like, look, like if you want to have good life, like don't do awful stuff, like don't speak evil things, don't do evil things. He's like, you actually need to do good and seek peace. And he's like, look, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. But again, the righteous now are those who put their faith in Christ. And he's assuming that if your faith is in Christ, you will walk righteously. Um, and so there's there's just a tie, guys. I want you, everyone to hear this, that of course your righteousness is found only in Christ. But there is a tie under the new covenant, um, specifically in these verses, that God is saying, like, look, if you're going to walk in a way that is unrighteous and unholy and hateful and evil— it's like he, he, well, the next verse, and his ears attend to their prayer, meaning God's ears attend to the prayers of the righteous. He, in other words, listens to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So I, I just want you guys all to hear and understand that even in the new covenant, yes, our righteousness and holiness always comes from the Lord. But there's something about like specifically doing evil and slandering and going about doing awful, awful things that that. In, that affects our relationship, you know, with the Lord. It's like, it's like, no, it doesn't affect our holiness. No, it doesn't affect our righteousness. But you, I don't know how else to interpret this. Like, you, you have to read this for what it is. Like, and he's saying, look, if you if you do this stuff, it will affect your relationship with the Lord. Like, the face of the Lord will be against you. Like, if you're if you're acting evilly, if you're on, you know, if you're just going after evil on purpose and slander, it's and, and then just somehow naming Christ, like. That that doesn't work. Like there is no. I, don't, I really want you to hear this. There is no believer who can actually walk in in hatred and rebellion and unbelief and 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 evilness and just slander and gossip toward his neighbor and claim Christ. You absolutely cannot do that. Um, you have to say I don't know Jesus or I'm in serious deception and I need to repent. Um, so anyway, um, that's kind of the end of that little section, and we'll continue on First Peter three thirteen um, on the next podcast. So anyway, um, I know this is getting heavy. I know it's getting like, whoa, this is rough. I know he's saying like, 
you know, some pretty harsh things. But at the same time, there's a reality there. There's a truth there. And we all need to understand that. We need to understand that, that this is part of how God works. Of course, righteousness, holiness, and all of that comes directly and only from our faith in Christ Jesus. But our actions affect our relationship with him. They do. Again, it's not that God hates us or, you know, is disappointed in us when we fail. That, that's not at all what he's referring to. Um, and I want to I also tell most of you that most of you guys listening to this, this isn't you. Like, you're not the kind of people at all that would walk in these ways, you know, that you're going to walk in evil and slander. That this isn't even who you are at all. Most of you wa- watching this, this you would never even have to apply to. This is really a warning to those who might claim Christ and yet don't have anything to show for it. And he's saying, look, my eyes aren't turned to that. Um, and there is a relational thing. So remember, I tell people this all the time, and I'm going to end with this is that everyone, you need to understand, like when you repent and give your whole life to Christ and die completely and be resurrected in his love and enter into a full new covenant with the Yahweh Sabaoth, with the Lord of Angel Armies, when you do that, you basically um, every sin you ever committed, every sin you are committing, and every sin you will ever commit is completely forgiven in Jesus' name. That is the reality. Um So you ask, well, then why do we repent? Well, we repent to restore the relationship. In other words, we repent because we want all of our thoughts to line up with God, and they don't always. We repent because we want all of our feelings to line up with God, and they don't always. We repent because we want all of our actions to line up with God, and they don't always. And we understand that most of that stuff comes from believing a lie. So we must repent, and we repent, of course, to restore the relationship because we love Jesus. Not that he's turned away from us, but simply a relational aspect because we don't want to break the heart of our lover and hurt our lover. So every time we go, God, forgive me. I love you. For I don't ever want to wound you, and I just ask your forgiveness for that. So we have a lot more to go on this, but I want to stop this now before I go over time. Um, we'll talk to you very soon. Next podcast coming up. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the Give link. Thank you.